is good. I um, so some of for those of you that have been around, you might have noticed that we're you were missing some people today, including all the senior pastors. <laughs> They're in Aruba. The Lord told them to go to Aruba. No, they they told themselves we're going to go to Aruba. And um, so they're Sal, uh, Tammy, Bill, and Jules. They're all in Aruba right now, and they'll be back next week. But they send their love. They text me this morning. They're praying for us. I mean, we're we're a heart. We're a house of intercessors. Like these people, they're on the beach, but trust me, they're praying. But they're relaxing. I'm sure all of them, except for Tammy, maybe. But they, the rest of them, are relaxing. <laughs> Cut that out of the recording, please. Cut that out. But um. But anyway, I'm really excited to share this word. So for those of you that were here um, earlier this month, a few weeks ago, I gave a, a message about narrative, about what is your narrative, what is your story, and, and really holding true to the narrative that God's given you f- over your life. And I'm going to really continue with that um, today, and it'll be a little different twist on it, but I'm going in that vein of thought. Um, if you haven't listened to that and, and you're jiving with what we're talking about this morning, I encourage you to go on our website uh, there is a tab f- called Listen, and on there we've got some of our messages, including the one from a few weeks ago. Um, now, part of the context that I think is important to, and I always convey, is we're in a season right now <coughs> that I believe is very significant. And the significance of that um, is related to the Lord moving and, and pouring out in a fresh way. And it's not just in our city, it's, it's, it's throughout the earth. Um, and we're seeing signs of that. And we've been, we've been talking in about just even hearts being softened in the city. And personally, the more we talk about it, the more I'm aware of it. And even last week, I'm getting multiple emails of people who have, are coming back to the Lord or didn't know the Lord, and their hearts are wide open to receive the gospel. And, and so you, you, you s- there is an opening of hearts that's happening right now in this current season and I believe it's so important that we as the body of Christ, we know who we are and we know how to point people to Jesus. And we don't get caught up in the lies and the, and the ways of the world, but we're able to be who we're called to be, salt and light right now for what God wants to do in this generation, right now, in the present. So, so that's the overall context. That's the bigger narrative that I see. And last time I spoke, I, I mentioned three different points. Um, a key to staying on your narrative. The first key was stay in love with Jesus. We can't, I can't express that enough. That is the number one point, and it has to say the number one point. The second was allow the word of God to cut you. Allow his word to cut through your heart. And the third was find spiritual moms and dads. So those three were really points I hit on about how to discover and, and stay in the narrative God's given you. Now for today, I want to focus actually more on your job, your place of work, where God has called you to, and how do you stay on the narrative of God for that specific area of your life? So we've been, Bill's been talking at length about the importance of the seven mountains, and there's seven spheres of influence that, that we've been talking about continually, and we're building these groups, these small groups, or these affinity groups to actually connect people that are in these mountains so that we can pray, so that we can encourage, so that we can edify and stir up one another to actually see God move in each of these mountains. So the mountains are, there's a host of them, but they're, it's media, it's arts, entertainment, it's family, government. What else am I missing? There's many more. Religion, that's the one I'm on. I should know that one. Um, education. Man, this is good. You guys can just throw them off. So there's seven of them, and these are, these are key places of influence that we are called 
to occupy, to bring the kingdom of God, to release the kingdom of God. And if you read through, if you'll throw up um, on the screen our, our mission statement, it, it really ties in with who we are called to be as, as a church. Life Center's mission is to build a family of believers who are passionate for the presence of God. We seek to equip believers to release the kingdom of God and impact all spheres of influence. So you're called to release the kingdom, and that's what I, I want to talk about. How do you stay in that narrative and, and recognize that narrative over your life? Um, last time I talked to I, I mentioned about things that try to take us off narrative, which include hardships and the importance of even prophetic words and knowing um, what you're called to be. And we talked about Paul, the Apostle Paul, and how he was called to the Gentiles and to kings. And he would get prophetic words, go to Jerusalem, you're going to suffer, you're going to be in chains. And those actually provoked him to step, to go, because he knew the call in his life. So hardships and, and, and suffering didn't get in the way. They actually, he knew they were coming, and he was able then to position himself to step in and influence these great cities of the earth for Jesus and to really shift, you know, in his generation, the entire map. I mean, the impact of Paul's ministry is, is absurd. Um, but it's because he knew who he was and he knew the narrative that he was called to. And likewise, many of you here, you're in this city and part of your, your mission field is your workplace. And, and that's true of many people in all over the earth. But in New York specifically, many of us come and that is the mission. That's, that's the ministry we've been handed. You're chaplains, whether you have the title or not, of the offices that you go to. And if you're a stay-at-home mom or you, you have a different function within the week, you're a chaplain of that particular area as well. So it, it, it's open to, to all different people. It's, what are you doing throughout the week? What are, you, what are you putting your effort and time towards? Pastor that. You're the chaplain over that. That's your ministry. And, and this revelation is really, it, it's stirring up now because God is, he wants to position and use us in the city to bring him great glory. Um, so I want to talk today about staying on narrative and what is your narrative? What are you called to do? So when I moved to the city, I moved here eight years ago, and my wife and I just got married, and I got my first job, and I, I had a, a not a high-level job. I, I got a data entry job, and I was sitting in some back office, you know, plugging in data, listening to, like, you know, conspiracy theories all day, because I could, you know, you can just listen to whatever you want and still be good at data entry. And um, so, you know, I, I was really just there, you know, trying to, trying to make it in New York, wasn't thinking a whole lot of, you know, necessarily what, what God was doing in that space. But I go to an all-staff meeting. It wasn't even staff, but I got invited somehow. And there's about 400 people in the, in the organization. And I'm in that meeting, and the Lord says to me, and this is in my mind, not audibly, in my mind, I feel like he says, go look for, I want to show you the most important person in this company. I'm like, great. I'm going to influence that person, I'm sure. Okay, is it this guy? Like, he looks important. It's like, no, no, it's not him. How about th that woman, man? She's, she is fire. I bet she's the one. He's like, no, it's not her. And so I'm asking the Lord. I'm not getting any answers. And he says, it's you, son. It's you. But, but God, I'm, I'm doing data entry in some back, some back room. Nobody even knows I exist. He says, no, you, it's you. You're the most important person in this organization. And now that, that could sound arrogant, right? That can, but it's not. It, it's, it's the Lord revealed to me the authority that I had and the purpose and call that I had in that place that I didn't see. I'm sitting there listening to conspiracy theories, doing my own thing, and I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm called to do. And in that moment, he awakened something in me. 
And all of a sudden, I started looking with, with greater expectancy of what God's going to do, how he's going to use me. And I knew my title didn't matter. Like, I knew that there was a calling and authority that I had, a spiritual authority, that, that really was going to manifest in due time. And it did. I, I won't go into all the details, but the Lord gave me dreams, and he, and he connected connect me with people at different layers of the company, and he, had, he used me as a voice in different parts of that organization from the highest level. And, you know, lo and behold, he, he, it took that moment to kind of for me to rethink who I was. And, and I want to, that's what I want you to consider today. Like, who are you in your workplace? And that means putting aside your titles. And, and that, I, that includes high titles and low ones. It means putting those aside. Because the Lord wants to use you and your kingdom impact. You can have more impact at the top, for sure. But you can be at the top and have very little kingdom impact. And the bottom and have very much kingdom impact. What matters to God? What's important? What does he prioritize? And, and so I think it's, it's not really where we're positioned. We're believing to be positioned in high places, yes. And we should pray for that and believe for that and settle for nothing less. But it's the posture of our heart that's so key. And that's what I'm after today. How is our heart postured before the Lord? Like, are we, are we ready just to be submitted to what he says, to what he is doing, and to seek after him with our whole heart, to seek his kingdom first? When our hearts postured that way, it does not matter what position we are in. And surely we will likely get promoted and grow and influence and authority. And when we get there, we'll be able to do something with, with the position that we have versus get there and, and it's the status quo instead of bringing the kingdom into our workplace. And that's what we're called, to release the kingdom into the all seven spheres of influence. So I want to read Colossians 3, verse 23. We've read this a couple times, but I think it's such a great grounding point in terms of how we live our daily life in our work. Colossians 3, verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. When you, because you're in Christ, for those of us in Christ, when you enter the workplace, you are not there just under the human authority that, that you see. You're actually serving the Lord. And if, you don't, if we're not in that reality, boy, it takes us off narrative. It's so key to know who you're serving and what you're doing in that place because it changes everything. It changes the level of excellence that you will put towards your work, the things you will do when nobody's looking because he's looking, it changes everything. And when you start doing that stuff, it highlights the goodness and glory of God because you're operating in a different kingdom because you actually recognize that you're under his authority and his kingship, not under just the authority of the company that you're in. Now, you're still under the authority of the company that you're in on some level, right? You don't just go around and be like, hey, like, I'm under the kingdom of God. Listen to me. I've got an idea. I've got a revelation. Here's what you should know. I mean, of course, you don't do that. But at the same time, when you walk that way, it changes everything. And you delight in what you do because you're doing it to serve the Lord, no matter what you do, no matter what you do. So I want to go through three key ways, three keys to staying on narrative in your workplace. All right? Three keys. Number one, wield the word of God. Wield it. So before I talked about being cut by the word, and that's Hebrews 4. And I'll, I'll read that real, where is my Hebrews 4? I don't see it, but 
Hebrews 4 is, it's really being, it's allowing the word to cut you. It's cutting through joint and marrow. It's, it's, it's letting the word expose the things that are happening in your heart. So that, that's Hebrews 4.12. Um, now Ephesians 6, uh, starting at verse 10, talks about the word being w- of what, what you wear as, your, as a part of your armor. So it lays out the different armor of the Lord. And I'll actually, I'll read that real quick. And I want you to hear what, how the word is articulated in this particular passage, the armor of God, right? The word is a very specific piece of your armor. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So right there, the word is making you alert right now to a reality that you need to know. And that is you are in a battle. You are in a war. So when you're wielding the word, it allows you to discern what the heck's going on. And if not, you're going into work thinking that, you know, everybody's for you, or at least if people are against you, they're the ones against you. And you realize, I've actually come into this narrative where the kingdom of God needs to advance on the earth, and there is wickedness and darkness and Satan himself that is coming up against what God wants to do. That's a totally different picture, right? When you're entering into work, that understanding changes everything. All of a sudden, I realize I have to get my armor on. I have to get the, the breastplate of righteousness on. I have to get my feet shot with the gospel of grace. I have to get my belt of truth on before I go into work. It's a totally different thing. And, and American culture does not, does not necessarily pick up on that. But the kingdom of God makes that a reality. And you know the kingdom when you know his word. So in that text, right, verse, verse uh, 11, the sword of the spirit. The spirit is the sword, which is the word of God. It's the one piece of armor that is offensive in nature. The rest is helmets and, you know, breastplates and things that protect you, shields. The sword is your offensive weapon, all right? And it's the spirit, but it's the word of God. His word, but it's by his spirit. If you don't come in with your sword into your workplace, you are going to be in trouble. You are not going to be able to discern what's going on. You're not going to be able to have the influence that God wants you to have. And it is the, it's the word and the spirit. So we're going to go back to that. They're, they're together. They're, they're interconnected. So the word of God, it's the sharpest object we have. It frees you from bitterness, from unforgiveness. When you read his word, you're, you're allowed to see, oh, this is, this is the kingdom of darkness. I, it's not flesh and blood I'm talking to. This isn't just an angry boss. There's a spirit behind this person, and I have authority to pray that that spirit is quenched, and I could bring peace into this situation instead of coming with my own sword and trying to fight and war against flesh and blood. It's a totally different mentality, but it comes when we know the word. It comes when we understand the context, the narrative that's happening right in front of us, and it changes how we war. And we all of a sudden, we start warring in him versus like through our own strength. And boy, don't you know that feels way different? That feels so different. You can war so much in the spirit, and you just feel great. It's like, man, this is awesome. Like, and when you war in your flesh, and you try to do things on your own, five minutes, you're exhausted. You're just like, man, what am I doing? So if you're going into work, and you're feeling totally exhausted, you may be warring the wrong way. It may be time for you to say, all right, God, by your word, show me how to wield it. Show me where spiritually, what spiritually is going on, 
Help me partner with people that will agree and be unified in our prayers that we could spiritually go after these things versus trying to muster up our own strength because it's not working and it'll take you off narrative. When you're tired, when you're depressed and down, you're not aware. You're like me listening to conspiracy theories. You are interested in all these other things, but you're not aware. You know, you're not awakened to what's actually happening in front of you, right? And that conspiracy stuff, man, it goes, there are so many levels to that thing, and it is weird. Um, I was there for a couple months. So in knowing the word also gets you rooted and grounded in your identity. And that is so essential. So you look at Matthew 4, and most of what I'm talking about today is Matthew. Matthew 4 is Jesus coming, going into the wilderness, being led by the Spirit, and then the devil accusing him, using scriptures, perverting the scriptures to accuse him and attack his identity. And he takes the scriptures, new ones, fresh ones that are, have the Spirit of God on them for that moment, for that instance, and he throws them right back at the devil, and he says, no. Like, you can't challenge who I am. You can't make me worship you. I, I only worship the Lord. So he has the word of God as his sword, as his weapon to battle against lies, but the lies are coming against his identity. And that's the first thing that the enemy will try to attack you on in your workplace. Who are you? And he'll, tr he'll try to take things that you've done, maybe that aren't of the kingdom, right? And he'll elevate those and say, you know what, you know, Kingdom of God's righteousness, peace, and joy, but you are not any of those things. You ever heard that accusation? It's like, well, you're supposed to be this Christian, act righteously, and you treated me this way, or you treated me that way, and people start speaking things over you, and some of them may be true, but there's a greater truth, and that is that you've been co-crucified, co-resurrected with Jesus, and those things, when they're elevated, they, don't, they shouldn't annoy you. They should cause you to be convicted in your heart, to go to the Lord, to repent, and to step into your identity as who you are as sons and daughters. So instead of let them get to you and try to fight back in the flesh, you say, God, show me, are these accusations true? And if they are, the accusation of condemnation is not true in Christ. If I'm in Christ, this condemnation I'm getting from this other person, I, I will not receive because it's not truth. It's not reality. Father, change my emotions. Change how I'm responding to this person so that it doesn't take me off narrative, so, I, so that I stay true to what you're doing, to what you're saying, to what you purpose me here for. People and their accusations will try to take you so off course. And when you have those people that are doing it, you have to position your heart before the Lord and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I, I'm not wasting any more time dealing with this carnal stuff. I want truth, and my emotions come into alignment with truth. Because when somebody messes with your emotions and you get all out of whack, boy, it's not the time to counsel those things. It's the time to kill those things and let truth come in and reign in your heart. That is what you have to do in those moments because those things will distract you and they will take you away from the things of God. And I want to encourage you as well, when we go into the word, when we read the Bible, when we've got emotions or opinions going in, it can mess with us so much. It can take away from what God wants to speak to you. And, and it, it's destructive. Like, we want our emotions to align with the Lord. We don't want our emotions to direct how, what we read and what we take in. And I, emotions are important, and, we want, and they're not to be forgotten or like say, oh, emotions don't matter. Like, no, like, worship him in spirit and truth. Be, have your emotions align with the reality of who he is, but don't let them lead you, especially when you're reading the word. Don't let them get in and entice you to believe things that aren't God. Because we come in with opinions, and the Lord's like, no, I want to speak to you. I want to reveal truth. I want you to know who you are. 
So I, I have a, a daughter. She's just up here at the front. She's two. Her name's Lilu, and she's she's cute as a button. And she has an older daughter named or my older daughter's Fern. She doesn't have a daughter that's older because that would be impossible. Um, <laughs> but the two of them are two years apart, and Lilu looks up to Fern so much. She she thinks Fern is the best. And so we tell them, you know, we speak identity over them. We try to at least um, as much as we can, and we remind them what their name means. Right? So Fern, her name means sincere love. Just say, Fern, you're sincere love. That's what God named you. Like, that's, that's who you are. I say, Lilu, uh, her name is a combination of Lily and Louise. Lily is purity, and Louise is strong warrior. We say, Lilu, you, you're purity, and you are a strong warrior. And it was maybe a week or two ago, and we're, uh, we're speaking that over both of them. And Lilu says, I'm not a warrior. She's like, I'm not. I'm like, what? Like, this, yes, you are. She's like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. She says, I am sincere love. That's what I am. I'm sincere love. And I look at her and write, like, conceptually, yes, like, the, the love of God is in you. Yes, like, <laughs> it's a fruit of the spirit. But something in, in my spirit says, now, like, sh- there's a comparison thing where it's like, oh, I, I want to be what she is, not what I'm called to be. And, and something in me welled up, and I was like, no, you are not sincere love. You are purity and a strong warrior. <laughs> that's what the Lord said over you, and that's who you're going to be. <laughs> no, I didn't say it quite like that. But, um, but my point is, your heavenly Father knows who you are, and he won't let people's opinions or their names over you or your, your desire even to compare and to be somebody else get in the way of that. He will keep speaking over you who you are. He would say, don't be that person. Just because you like what they carry, you like what they do, be this person. You'll be satisfied. You'll be filled with purpose, passion, desire. You'll fulfill the call in your life. Don't be them. Be who I've called you to be. And we got to hear that sometimes because we get into work and we see things and people that are really exciting, and it's not what we're called to be. And that's where the Father comes in, and he corrects things. He makes things right. So when you read the Word of God, when you read the Word, it, things get highlighted and elevated and oftentimes, there's I, your identity, it's God wanting to draw out your identity. So when you're reading something, say, Holy Spirit, like, would you cut me? Would, would the word of God come and speak to my heart? Tell me what I need. Tell me who I am. It's a totally different way of reading it than versus some text where you're trying to learn stuff so you can repeat later in, some, in a Bible study or whatever context. It's like, no, like, this is a time to engage with your father. And the spirit moves on the word. So even if, uh, I'll use this example, uh, First Peter, and this is uh, chapter 2. Verse 9, I'm reading from New Living for this one. Everything else is New King James, but I like the New Living on this one. Um, so verse 9, so just think of you reading this, right, on your own. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. Stop. Okay, I'm a chosen. And you feel the spirit start to ruminate over that text. I'm a chosen people. God, what does that mean? I'm chosen? What, what is that? You are a royal priest. A royal priest. Holy Spirit, help me understand what that even means. That that's like sounds really big and fancy, but what, what does that mean to be a royal priest? A holy nation, God's very own possession. Oh, my gosh, I'm your possession? Like, you, you're possessive? You're jealous over me? You're like, you know, I, I'm owned by you in, in some sense? So when you read these texts, like, the Holy Spirit wants to provoke you to go deeper in them, and he wants to use them to actually tell you who you are so that when you go out into the workplace where, where you're called to be, they don't tell you who you are. They don't give you some title. They don't give you some, they don't n- name call you and you get stuck on that. You go in knowing your identity. 
it's a totally different mentality. There's a man on my street. He's an older gentleman. He's really sweet, but he, he never knows my name. And so I always go. I've known him for years. And he's like, hey, hey, Clint, Clint, good to see you. I'm like, hey, you? I don't even know what your name is. At least you got a fake name for me. I don't even know what yours is. But it's been going on for quite some time. And it gets weird, right? Because you see this person like every week for like years. And if you don't tell him, you just kind of go by the name. You're like, well, I guess I'm Clint. <laughs> but this morning it happened to me. I'm in the rain. He's like, Clint, how, how's your morning? Great, you, love you, bless you in Jesus' name. Um, but that's the way it can be in your office where, where it's like people get a name or they see something on you that's maybe not you, or, or maybe you, you didn't know the Lord and now you're working in the same company or in the same position, and they don't realize the change that's happened in you. And there is a point, and, and pray for wisdom in this, but there is a point where you need to go to that person and say, this is not who I am. You're speaking things over me that aren't who I am. Like, this is not how I operate. And maybe it's a chance to share your faith as well. But th there's something about even vocalizing it in the natural to people, especially those that you feel like are cutting you or coming against what God has over your life. And you can do that in a loving, genuine way. Like, don't come and smash them, but come and be stern and firm and in love. Tell them who you are. Tell them what God says about you. And once again, take, take wisdom as you do that because there's different times for different things, but there's, I really believe that's a strategy for some of you, because there's people trying to slime you with their words, and you can't let that distract you. What God has for you is way better, and we're not going to let these human words come in the way of what God has ordained and spoken over your life. So the word of God, the beautiful thing about the word of God is it reveals the kingdom of God as well. So when I'm going to be reading through the book of Matthew uh, further today, and my desire, my hope is that you just the, see the immensity of the, the kingdom that's talked about. I, I'm going to hit so little on the teachings on the kingdom of God, so tiny, just a tiny sliver. The kingdom of God is mentioned in the scriptures 162 times, all in the Old Testament, or New Testament, none in the Old, it's in the New Testament, and primarily in the, in the, the gospels themselves. Um, but the kingdom of God, it's mentioned that frequently because it matters, because it's a part of what Jesus ushered in. That's why he didn't come to the New Testament. So if you're looking through the, the scriptures, right, and you say, like, God, what is this kingdom thing? We're going to read through a bit, but know that contextually, the kingdom of God, it's the reign of God. Just think of it that way, his reign, his, his lordship uh, over, over, over something, right? Think of that as that's his kingdom, where he rules and he reigns, all right? So I, I think that'll help as we're going through. And we see when Jesus came on the earth, right, they, they, they saw him and they tried to make him a king on the earth. So literally, people around him, like, because he was, he was doing all these signs and doing these great things, they said, oh, you need to be a king. And he, they literally crowded around him and tried to make him an earthly king. He said, no, 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 no. I'm not an earthly king. Uh, my, my kingdom I is not of this earth. And in fact, in order to, like, step into that kingdom, I must be crucified. I must be raised from the dead because my kingdom is much more impactful than an earthly kingdom. And it will one day rule the earth in full. The kingdom of God, it's advancing and it's here, but it's also still coming. It's a really interesting, like, tension. But Jesus says that, that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But then the Bible, like, all the way, if you read the very last chapter, you're like, what's going on here? What happens in the end? You see in the book of Revelations, what happens in the end is Jesus comes back and establishes the kingdom. And there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. And that's the end of the story. That's 
where we're going one day, and that's the fulfillment of the kingdom of God advancing and taking over the earth and the heavens and, and everything in between. So the, the kingdom of God is, it, there's, there's a key difference between what's happening and what will happen, but the important differential there is what Jesus started is we, we can't get lost in what is happening right now. And Jesus modeled it. So if you want to know what's happening in the kingdom, see what Jesus did. So all that was point number one, by the way, wield the word. So that was a big point. Point number two is seek the kingdom. So point number two, how you bring influence, how you n- get stay in your narrative in your workplace. Seek the kingdom. So if we look through the, the ministry of Jesus, right? We've already talked about chapter four in the book of Matthew. Um, and in that chapter, his identity is challenged. He goes into the wilderness. If you look further in that chapter, he then begins preaching this message I just talked to you. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Matthew verse four, or chapter 4, verse 17. Matthew 4, 23, he then demonstrates the power of the Holy Spirit and the heart of God, and, he expo- and, and you see, oh, here's what the kingdom looks like. It looks like the dead being raised. It looks like eyes being opened. All the things that he tells John the Baptist later, he says, are you, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Well, look what's happening, John. The poor being fed. The good news is coming to the poor. So Jesus, he, he, his identity gets solidified, right? And then he goes to a place of preaching the kingdom. And the first thing that happens when he preaches the kingdom is people get healed and raised. And all the supernatural starts coming. How many of you know the kingdom of God, it has to have power to be the, the real kingdom? Because it's God's rule and his reign, right? And, it's, and we always pray, like, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. And that reality, that healing that is in heaven is called to come on to earth. And one day it will be in full, but right now we can taste a lot of it right now. And I, for one, don't want to sell short of anything that Jesus paid for. I want the kingdom to come as much as it possibly can right now. And that should be your mentality too. And so Jesus, he, he shows us the power of the spirit, and then he talks about the kingdom of, the God, of God and what it entails. So we're going to pick up Matthew, um, and this is chapter 5. And these are, these are called the Beatitudes. And these are, they're, they're really, it's a m- different mindset. It's just a way of thinking. It's to understand and know how his kingdom operates. And I would encourage you, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the craziest things you can possibly read and understand. I mean, it is so revolutionary. It's so crazy that we just have it on our, on our book stand. You know, it's just there by our, on our nightstand by our bed. And in it, Jesus is revealing the fulfillment of the scriptures. He's revealing how the kingdom works and who, and who God really is. And so the Sermon on the Mount, I just encourage you, I hope this stirs you just to get in there and read it, because he talks about so much, there's all these analogies for the kingdom of God, but he starts right here with the Beatitudes as he's laying out what the kingdom looks like. So I'll start with chapter, or this is chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So as I'm reading these, think about your workplace. Think about these realities are the realities that are also in that space, right? So you're under a certain kingdom, a certain lordship, right, in your, in your work. There's, there's leadership. There's, there's values for a company. But these are the values of God. These are the kingdom values that you're really under because you're under his lordship. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You need to take that and put it on your office somewhere. Like, put it somewhere where you remember it. Put it on your phone. Have it, like, like beep at you every now and then. Like, every five minutes. Let it annoy you. Because this is the reality of God's kingdom, which you live under. And this gives you context for who you are and for the, what's important in your workplace. You operate under these, under these pretenses, not the ones that you're given. This is how you operate. Now, you honor authority, yes, but this is the kingdom, and it's what you're born to release. And when you live in that realm and these realities become your realities, stuff is going to shift and happen in your work. I'm telling you. Because there's a different kingdom. There's a different way of thinking in the world, and you can't agree with it. You can't align with it. You can't have mixture in your heart. So I'll give you an example. So a worldly attitude, which you can compare to, I'll read, I'll read the first text. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What, is that, what does that mean? Blessed are you when you depend, when you have poverty of your spirit. You know that you are in full need of a Savior. You need Jesus. You need him every day. You, need, you are a sinner. You, you, you were totally running away from God. He came and saved you. He came and redeemed you. And you even still sometimes you're inclined to sin in certain ways. But now you have a new nature in Christ. And now you can actually operate in your new identity as a son, as a daughter, living in, re- in, the, in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All these things are now your new identity in Christ. But who you were before was totally awful. Let's be honest. <laughs> who we were before Jesus, we were inclined to sin, and we did it a lot. And so the reali- that reality hits home when, you're, when you know you're poor in spirit. When you're poor in spirit, you know that what you have is a total gift from God and that his grace is so massive. And not only is he talking about salvation, but every day you need him to come and intervene. You need his love to overwhelm you, you, you or you'll be caught up in, in the things not of God. You need the Lord. That desperation is so key. And, and the world would say, here's the worldly flip on that. Blessed be those that are selfish and ambitious, for they will be promoted, for they will be lifted above others. But no. The Beatitudes, the kingdom, says blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you adopt another kingdom's value set and you wonder why you're not getting results or you're not, you're not shining bright in your office, it's because you're not standing out. It's because you're not operating under the lordship of Jesus. You've agreed with something, and, and there's grace for that. You cut that thing away. I, I, told, I think I told some of you last time, the Lord revealed to me that in the course of my work, I really agree with some of these humanistic ideas. And I was working so hard thinking it was all about me and what I could accomplish and what I could do. That's not poor in spirit. That's blessed are the selfish and are those that are self-ambitious. That's what that is. I was agreeing with that beatitude, not kingdom beatitudes. And, and so I want to encourage you, even, as, even today, let the Lord reveal where there's been things that are God in that aren't of God because they will distort and they will try to kill and steal the things that the Lord has for you. And, and, and when, you, when you realize those things, you operate in the kingdom, people are drawn to it. They're going to come in. They're, they're going to be drawn to you. So if we skip down to the next section after the Beatitudes, so uh, Matthew 5, verse 13. And this is so key because we're going through the Beatitudes, these 
these values of the kingdom that are different than of the world, different than of your office, probably. You could be in a great workplace, and you're like, man, the Beatitudes are in my office. Then I'm like, great, awesome, just keep doing them. Um, but Matthew 5, verse 13, this is so key. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. The Beatitudes are connected to this passage. I really believe they are. If you're operating under that pretense, under those value sets, you will be salt in your office. You will be. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown and trampled underfoot by men. You're like, man, why do you read that last part? Gosh, the first part is better. Because it's in the Bible, and it wants to convict your heart in a good way to run to him so that we can be salt. I'd rather know that I'm not being salty versus in, in like, hey, I don't want to be trampled on. I want to be salty. I want to preserve things. I want to speak life. I don't want to agree. I don't want to conform to the culture around me. I want to be kingdom culture. So we got to read the, re- the whole Bible. <laughs> I know because I, sometimes I cut stuff out. and I'm like, I don't like that one. But it, this is what the word of God is saying. Here's the next part. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Oh, I like that one. That one's good. So you are the light of the world. You can't be a light if you're still conforming to the value system of the world. And the Beatitudes help set you free, helps you to see. The word of God helps you discern what's true, what's right, what's good, what's bad. So you become attractive. You become salt and light when you operate under, these, under the kingdom, when you position yourself to be kingdom culture. And people are drawn to you. And in fact, the, the Holy Spirit is part of, is really what is drawing them in. It's the Spirit of God in you. And in and, and the Spirit, the kingdom is in the Spirit, like the righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom is in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you. How good is that? So God's plan is so masterful. He says, I'm going to invade the earth with my glory. I'm going to come and establish my kingdom, my rule and reign, and the first wave are going to be people that have the kingdom of God in them because I'm going to put my spirit in them and I'm going to send them out over all the earth. And that's why when you share the gospel, it's so massive and important because all of a sudden you have another person that's saying, yes, let the kingdom of God rule and reign in me. And when the kingdom of God rules and and reigns in more of us, that 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 is the strategy for the earth being overwhelmed with the glory of God because he hasn't yet fully taken over the whole world with his glory but he can take over you with his glory. The spirit of God's in you. When you agree with that, you step into being that the answer to Jesus' prayer, <laughs> to being like the, the family of God that's ushering in the kingdom of God on earth. Isn't that so good? I mean, that is so cool that we're a part of this thing, that God set it up and we are key players in it. And I want to tell you right now, there is like, I'm just, I'm snapping up here because there's like something about, like God wants to awaken us like, he really wants to awaken us that we're, our lives aren't purposeless, that we're a part of his plan. It's not just, God, just do your thing. Come and move. He's like, no, you are who I'm going to move through. You are where the spirit of God dwells. The glory of God is going to flow through you. So we say, God, let your glory fill the earth. Let the people of the earth know you so that your glory will fill the earth. It's, it's so important that we know what part we play in this, in this narrative. It's so important. So... There's something about, too, asking. There's something about asking. So we want the kingdom of God to come and to move, but we have to ask. And that's a relational, beautiful thing that God has set up for us. So that's why we even, uh, he says to pray, pray it every day. Lord, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Why does he have us pray that? 
because we're partnering. We're, there's a co-laboring that he wants to do with us. He could just do it, but he says, no, pray this so that you can step into who I've made you be so we can do it together. And so you'll know my love, and you'll know that I want to partner and connect with your heart, and we're doing this together. This is amazing. I can't believe that God set it up like this. Um, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added onto you. All of these things. I love the example of King Solomon in 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, verse 7. And this is a dream that King Solomon is having. It's a great representation of, of this reality of seeking first the kingdom of God. He's taking over this massive empire where David has set him up, his father, for, with a great inheritance, right? He's got all these riches. He's going to build this kingdom uh, or this temple for the Lord. And in that moment, he goes before the Lord in this dream. And dreams are powerful. I mean, this all happened in a dream. Isn't that interesting? He, this happened in a dream. And in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, I'll just kind of paraphrase it. He, he says to him, oh, I'm your, your, I'm your servant. Like, Father, show me how, give me wisdom for how to actually oversee your people, your chosen people. So yeah, I'll read it, verse 8. And your servant is in the midst of your people of whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may be discerned between good and evil, for w- and able to judge this great people of yours. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? He was living in the kingdom. He knew what God's business, what his desire was, and he didn't seek his own. He said, God, I want wisdom because these are your people, and you love them, and they need to be led. And that mentality, that's what I'm talking about. That's the posture of your heart where the kingdom of God can come and move through you. So if you read through First uh, Kings chapter 3, you see the Lord's response. And the Lord says, not only will I give you wisdom, you'll be the wisest man on the earth. I'll give, you ble- I'll give you riches. I'll give you all these things you didn't ask for because you, shepherd, you care about the things in my heart and you understand what's important. And, and I mean, Solomon, you know, he fell at the end of his life and uh, he did some things that weren't so good. But in this moment, man, he, he hit a home run. This heart posture is what we should all seek and what we can all have um, in Christ. So last point, those are just two points, and now my last one's going to be short. Um, point number one, right? So these are three points on how we can obtain and understand and stay in our narrative of God in our work. So point number one was wield the word, wield the word, read it, let it cut you, wield it in your office over untruths. Point number two was seek the kingdom, know the kingdom, understand the kingdom, bring it in, don't allow any mixture in your heart. Point number three Always, always, always serve. Always, always, always serve. If you want to bring the kingdom, if you want to stay in your narrative, you can't let selfishness get in the way. You have to serve. Selfishness is an off-narrative type of thing. When you start thinking, overthinking about yourself, you get so caught up. What other people think of you, I need a comparison, things we've talked about already. It throws you for a whole loop, and you can't stay in the narrative that God has for you. Always, always serve. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. Here's just a few things to think about. In the kingdom of God, you must go low to go high. What? The only way you can have everything is to give up everything. The only way to be exalted is to humble yourself. The only way to increase is to decrease. And the only way to receive love is to give love. The only way to grow is to get small. And the only way to lead is to serve. The only way to lead is to serve. If you're not serving, you're not leading. And Jesus made this connection in a powerful, transformative way that had never been, you know, realized before. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve, to lay my life down as a ransom for many. 
there's power in service. But to the world, it looks weak. But in God's eyes, he loves it, he values it, and it will give you the influence and the clarity you need to transform your work, to bring the kingdom in your work. When you serve, something opens up. It really does. So I, um, my grandfather, when he passed away, uh, some of you know this story, he passed away uh, five, six years ago, and I was on, it was this crazy story that the Lord was doing this stuff in me, and I realized what he carried and how precious he had been in my life, and I went, and I was at his bedside right before his death, and I was able to speak those things, because the Lord had shown me months later, not knowing he would pass, had shown me the things that he carried, and I was able to honor him and speak that over him right before he died in a way I'd never thought of or, or was able to. So I was articulating this, oh, like, God, I'm so thankful for my grandfather. I'm thankful for what you've done, what you sowed, what you've invested. And as I'm speaking this over him, and he's hearing me the whole time, the Lord starts welling this confidence in me. The Lord starts downloading things to me about me. I'm here to serve and honor. I'm not here for me. But the Lord just instinctively, the Spirit of God comes on me, and I start prophesying about myself to my grandfather. And I said, you know what? You walked, and you did this, and you did that, and God's going to use me to do this, to do this, and do this. And it's because of your service. It's because of what you've laid down that I'm going to get to do this. And I spoke things over my life that I did not even believe. <laughs> How many of you have done that? Where you're like, like something happens or wells up out of you, or like, I don't even believe that. That's, that's crazy. Like, I don't think I can do that. Praise God, because you can't, right? We're poor in spirit. Jesus, we need you to do these things. But in that moment of service and honoring, the Lord gave me a gift and helped me to see things about myself that I didn't even know. But when you serve, it gives clarity. And, and you actually find your own calling sometimes in that service. I used to think that honoring people was, you know, it's always it's a part of the kingdom. It's so key. You got to honor those that are older, those that are, I mean, you got to honor everybody, uh, especially those in authority. You have to honor them. I used to think that way I can access like, oh, when you honor them, you access certain things they carry. And there's a part of that that's true. But there's a part of it where God just loves honor. He just loves your obedience. And when you, when you submit to his kingdom and his ways, he will bless you just for being obedient, just for honoring and loving. It's not even about getting something somebody carries. It's just about doing the will of your father. And he releases things to you. It's, it's amazing. But it's how the kingdom operates. Honor is so essential. And service and honor, they're very interconnected. So this will be my last point. Um, we had, I had a dream this week. And it's so funny that Frank came up here and talked about the cloud of witnesses. So I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw my grandfather, who's been dead for six years. And he came up to the steps of my family's house. And he started speaking scriptures over me. He just started reading the Bible over me. I, I mean, I haven't had a dream. I haven't seen my grandfather in a dream maybe once in six years. And he's just reading the word over my life. And I woke up and I, I felt the power of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the great cloud of witnesses, right? That are, that are like with us, that are cheering us on. My grandfather's doing this right now for me. And I, and I was trying to figure out, what did he say? He said a lot of scripture. What is it? What is it? And, this, and Ephesians 6.11 keeps coming to mind. Ephesians 6.11, Ephesians 6.11. So I look it up and it's put on the armor of God put on the armor of God. He's praying the armor of God over my life. I mean, how crazy is that? That there's, like, and how important, if he's doing that for me, right, how important is it that I do it for you and you do it for me? The saints, the, those that have passed, the cloud of witnesses, they see the importance of what we're doing. They see the purpose and calling on our life, and they're praying, for, and they're praying in, for the war that's happening in this, in this age 
that we would win, that we would prosper, we'd be armored for the Lord. How much more do we need to get that and pray that for each other? I encourage you, know each other's narrative. That's a way you serve one another. Know their narrative. Know where they're called in their work. Know what are the promises things God's spoken over them and sharpen them, speak to them. There's so many of us, we get discouraged. We start, we start agreeing with all sorts of things and we don't see the vision that God's given us for our work. And we need the Lord, we need his word, we need his spirit. We also need each other. We also need one another coming and speak truth and build us up and help us to cut away these lies and these, these ideas that are, that are pulling us out of truth. So it's so key that, that we're warring for each other as well. And, and I think that's how you serve one another, and that's how, and you get blessed in the whole midst of it. So it, there's something about, I mean, we don't, we don't serve for the blessing, but there is a blessing that comes with serving. Um, all right, this is actually my last point. I lied. This is my very last one. So I'm going back to King Solomon. So King Solomon, right, he, he prayed this prayer. He asked the Lord for the kingdom to come. He asked the Lord for wisdom to govern his people. And at the end of his life, First Kings, or not the end of his life, rather, but in the middle of his rulership, First Kings chapter 10, verse 4, I, I want to read this. And this is what happens when you ask for kingdom things and, and God releases them to you. This is what happens later in your life. This is the fruit of you being obedient and you coming into alignment with his kingdom. This is the fruit. First Kings chapter 10, verse 4. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on the table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. So what that means is she was so astounded. She was so undone by what she saw in Solomon's court that there was no more spirit in her. She was like, I've lost my, I'm caught up. In, in this king of glory, in, in the Lord of hosts that dwells and is on Solomon's life. So this is a queen of a, of a mighty nation, and many kings and queens came to Solomon in that day to partake of his wisdom and were thus influenced by Solomon and his love for the Lord. Verse 6, Then she said to the king, It was a true report that I've heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw them with my own eyes. And indeed, half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame in which I had heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord our God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he has made you king to do justice and righteousness. That's what he prayed. God, help me to govern these people. Help me. And he delivered justice and righteousness from the Lord. And as a byproduct, there was riches, yes, but even more so influence. Kings and queens would come from all over just to, just to receive from this man. And so you see the fruit of him asking and the fruit of his obedience, he's able to influence vast, vast <laughs> empires um, for the Lord. Um, if, if everybody could stand. I, I really believe there's... I really love, just even in this text, we, we think about the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes we think about whole offices being saved. Like, we think, we think in that frame. And I believe for that. I, I believe that is what revival looks like in some sense. But there's other components of the kingdom of God advancing in your office, in your place of work, in your home, in your family. 
And what you see in Solomon in his in his um, kingdom, I think is very interesting. It says, happy are your men, happy are your servants. You see the excellence of how things are done. The apparel, the cup, the cup bearers, the waiters, they're everything. You see the, even the entrance to where the, he approaches the Lord. This, this person is in awe. We can't think about this as just like building some great church or building some great environment where we invite people in. It, it's also about, it's about even your, the companies that you're involved in. It's about the places in government. It's about nations. Like the kingdom of God advancing in those places I think we've often just seen it from a church perspective. Like we'll just build this great church and the Spirit of God will be there. But he's calling all these places, all these spheres to look like the kingdom. And so, so I want to encourage you. There's so many different people here. You do so many different things. There's not one just way that the kingdom has to look in your company, right? It may look and it should look like people getting healed and saved. But there's many other components to it. There's many other components. And the Lord wants to raise you up to also be, to be shrewd, like to, to be as shrewd as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. So that doesn't mean you stray away from truth. That means you know when to release truth in the right time. It means when you burn to share the gospel with somebody, that maybe you do, but you also ask God when and how, when and how. B because there is a, a shrewdness as well that we're called to have in the kingdom, and we are going to have great influence when we walk in that level of wisdom as well. But I want to encourage you, there's, we're in different places in our own heart. So right now, you just as you're seeking your heart before the Lord, let's just close your eyes and just even just begin seeking him. And Father, I thank you for what you're stirring in our hearts. I thank you, Father, for, well, for those of us that need courage, that need to release the gospel, that need to be courageous in how we approach our colleagues or how we approach our work. Father, you would give us courage. For those of us that need wisdom, that we, we're speaking your words, but things aren't happening the way we want. We're, we're, we're prophesying and praying over, over those in our work, but we're not seeing the change. God, I pray wisdom. For those of you that feel like, just, like you're just so held up, right, that you don't have any strength, that you're just bogged down, that, that, that people are slandering you. I, I just pray right now a release over you, a release. There's the peace of God, the identity of Christ would rule and reign in you. Father, we ask for fresh vision for each and every person here, for their calling, for where you place them in this city. Father, we come right now against darkness, against temptations of the flesh, which would war against your people, your saints. And we say increase your love and your desire increase our desire for you increase our desire for you our passion for you father would you be the king in our hearts would you give us a heart to serve would you give us dependent hearts father i pray just for that desperation for you that longing for you for co-laboring for partnering with you father places where we've thought we could do it on our own god i pray right now that you would provoke us to be desperate for you Provoke us to ask for greater things. I thank you, Lord, for higher thinking, for higher prayers, higher prayers, higher prayers. I thank you, Father, that right now I see the Lord showing you even you, there's flesh, there's things you've been dealing with in the flesh, and the Lord's saying, go higher, go higher with me. I thank you, Father, for the authority that we have in Christ through the Spirit of God in us. I thank you that greater, 
Greater is he in me than he that's in the world. Greater is your spirit of God in me than the world around me. Thank you, Holy Spirit.